Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast, where every week we bring you fascinating conversations with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton, Chief Nerd at the Modern Health Nerd. And believe it or not, this is episode number 40 of the podcast. I feel blessed to have had so many fantastic guests thus far, and I'm adding to the list today with Emma Osborne of Citizen Kind. Through Citizen Kind, Emma is helping companies creating the future of food, materials, and energy connect with top talent who shares their vision and values. We talk a lot about recruitment and work and the changing nature of work in this episode. And I encourage you to listen to the entire thing if you are building a business in the plant-based space or you're doing alternative materials, whatever you're doing, if you want to be making an impact in the world, this episode has some great gems on how to find the people who can help you make that impact and who will stick around as your company grows to support you in the change you want to make. And if you're looking for meaningful and impactful work, this episode is also for you. Before we dive in, I'd like to thank you for supporting the Modern Health Nerd podcast through 40 episodes. It has been my absolute pleasure and joy to bring these conversations to you. If you are enjoying the podcast, please give us a rating, review, subscribe, whatever you want to support, and share it with your friends, particularly if you know somebody who is looking for a job or looking for employees centered around making that kind of world-changing impact. And now, my conversation with Emma Osborne of Citizen Kind. Well, Emma, welcome to the podcast. I am glad we finally got to connect. It's great to meet you off of Clubhouse. Absolutely. Yes, Clubhouse is an amazing tool for meeting people internationally. And I'm very glad of all the wonderful people I've met so far. And that's kind of where I really discovered what you were doing. I saw a lot of your posts on LinkedIn and, and was excited to actually be able to connect with you. So why don't you give a little bit of background on what you're doing and how you got into basically the vegan and plant-based space and what your really goals are with your own personal involvement and citizen kind. Well, how I came into vegan and plant-based was um, from being a vegetarian for years and years. So I haven't eaten meat um, since I was about five. Haven't ever had a steak, haven't, you know, really have no idea what red meat tastes like um, and have um, and, and chicken and even that sort of stuff. I really stopped eating when I was, um, I think about 10. So um, that was, that, that feels alien to me, the idea of eating that stuff. Um, and Having been a lifelong vegetarian, um, I actually had to have an operation back in 2015 as a result of all the cheese I'd eaten, um, which I'd been quite unaware was causing havoc in my body. And that and discovering that uh, link, that causal link between eating cheese um, and having to have that operation was enough to make me absolutely furious and for me to um, swear off all animal products ever again. So that was the beginning of my vegan journey. Um, and that coincided really with a little bit of um, ennui in my kind of daily life as I'd been running a recruitment company in Singapore. And I'd got to the point where, it, I mean, it became really successful and the more successful it became, the more unfulfilled I was and 
um, that was increasingly a problem. <laughs> um, and so I did what any sensible person would do and took off for a year around the world, indulging my inner food nerd and exploring all the corners um, that I'd really ever wanted to go to. So uh, because I was already based in Singapore, I did a little tour of Southeast Asia and then spent months in places like India and Colombia and Brazil and Mexico and Ecuador and Italy and did cooking classes and, and went to organic farms and went and discovered how they make chocolate and um, how they make baguettes in France. And um, it was just the most self-indulgent, wonderful year ever. And I came back thinking, right, well, now I'll have my own vegan food company and this will be my next new thing. And um, after some fairly unsuccessful attempts at that, I realised that actually it made much more sense for me to focus more on the skills and experiences that I'd learned throughout all of the things that I'd done in my life. Um, you know, moving to a completely new continent and setting up a company from scratch, knowing no one, um, into, and making it into a really successful business over six years. And um, and obviously all of the types of companies that I'd come into contact with, I was working with um, tech companies and media companies and agencies and all sorts. So I thought from all of those experiences, then I would be able to help people who were themselves now embarking into this new sustainable economy that we're all heading towards, which was obviously something that was already really close to my heart. So that was really what made me set up Citizen Kind. And I couldn't resist this idea of what if we could get you know, the best, most brilliant, talented minds in the world. And instead of having them working on making Google's algorithm a little bit more effective, what if we could repurpose them and put them in companies where they're really doing good and, and creating a huge positive impact on the world. And so that was part of the driving force. And that is what we're still doing today. So we work with sustainable, ethical and vegan companies and help them find their, their senior talent. So you're bringing the top talent from the general job world and bringing it to the more specific and impactful job world, it sounds like. Well, I think because I've been doing it for such a long time, I'm able to think a little bit more outside the box when it comes to hiring. So most people's instincts um, when they have a, a, a vacancy come up in their company is to hire someone who's done that exact same job before at another company. I mean, obviously that makes sense. Um, but it does mean that you can overlook candidates that actually could bring a lot more to that role um, because they'd had a varied background so maybe they'd done a similar job but in uh, or done that exact same job in a similar sort of company maybe they worked in the same sort of company but doing a different job so they've got an understanding but they maybe haven't done that exact thing and by doing that you're enabling people to spread their wings I guess in terms of their career but also you're giving people the opportunity to create a legacy for themselves within your business and the other thing is actually I think that type of hiring where you are just taking one person from someone who's your competitor and putting them into a into your organization I would question the reasons for leaving your, your competitor because 
if they're if they're doing the same thing, why do why would they want to just come and work for you? How is that going to help them as an individual? And I would suggest that probably that person won't stay for very long because they've probably got a shelf life of maybe two years in your company because they'll get bored. They'll be, you know, the, the reason that they left the last one will probably still be there unless you've got some massive USP that's different. So how do you see this kind of service and this kind of talent matching as contributing to a better food system and just a be- actually a better world in general? It sounds like you're really focused on the bigger picture. Definitely. I think part of designing a future that we all want to live in um, has got to be inclusion and including diverse perspectives. And I think if you look at most of the Fortune 500 companies, they're mostly um, run by people who look in a certain way and who uh, identify a certain way. And I think that it's really important that we include everyone in, t- in building the future because you can't do it. <laughs> you, know, you almost can't do it without diverse perspectives because it isn't going to be a future that we all want to live in. The way that I see it is if you're future focused, then you have to make the decisions now about how you want your company to evolve and set yourself up by making those decisions, um, including people that are going to be representing you now and later. This actually kind of segues into some of the things that we have talked about on Clubhouse. It's like, how are you going to, without a vision for the future that includes your employees, how are you going to keep the vision for your company solid as you grow? Exactly. And the thing that I think lots of people forget is that when you are building a company and, you know, you're a startup or an SME and you're building for growth and, you know, you want to IPO and all of this sort of stuff, you know, you want to get investment. Well, one of the things, the key things, one of the three key things, in fact, that investors look at are your team. And so if you haven't got a really amazing team, you're going to really struggle to get investment. And I think when it comes to building those teams, if you've got people who are only there for two years or not invested in the business because maybe you haven't included them in the business, then that's going to create problems. And also it's going to be a red flag to investors if you've got a high turnover of staff that maybe you're not a great leader. So it's such an important part of any business is the people that work within them. And and it's such an important part of being a great leader is working with those people and and unleashing their potential and treating them really respectfully and bringing them into the journey, not just, I suppose, having them as, uh, as employees. People don't want to be employees anymore. We know that because the gig economy is here. And that's because everybody's fed up with working for the man. Why should I work for the man? I want to work for myself. But that's because the man wasn't treating us well. So if you're employing someone, that means you need to include them as part of your team and have them not feel like staff, but feel like valued members of a team who are all working together and pulling towards the same goal. And that's what I want to do is help help find members for those teams. Well, that sounds great because there are so well, 
we see there are so many plant-based businesses and businesses that are focusing on sustainability and making big changes and just people who have vision, which is something else that we have talked about in the past is vision and messaging and branding and all of that. Now, you mentioned there are three key things that investors look at. What are the other two, just out of curiosity? Well, the other two are return. <laughs> So they want to see a 10x return on their investment. And the other one is the vision. So you've got to have a really clear vision for your product. Sort of your USP is the third thing. You know, what makes you special? So what would you say to maybe an up and coming plant-based brand or some kind of CPG brand that has that kind of vision and wants to be able to bring all of the elements together, including a good team, how would you advise them to get started with that so that it is something that they can carry into the long term and be able to realize growth? Nailing down the vision is the most important bit. So of any business plan, the very first bit is really all about the vision of what it is you're trying to achieve. And you've got to be crystal clear on that. Um, and then I think, you know, just as important are the values that you are going to uphold within the business and that you and that everyone within the business is going to be upholding as well, what those values are and, and how they can be applied within that business. Being really upfront and transparent about those things can really help dictate those decisions then when, when there are tough decisions to come, which there always are. But I think as business owners or leaders, you, you do get challenged um, probably more often than most, with moral dilemmas. And if you've got that set of values, which you've already laid out, which everyone in the company is going to be adhering to, then it just makes those situations an awful lot easier to deal with because you've got your how you behave in that situation already figured out. So that internal wrangling doesn't need to happen. And that obviously then relates into hiring because you know that the thing, you know, those values are then almost the, the characteristics of the people that you're looking to hire. So it's almost a tick box exercise. You know, you could even use it in interviews. So you could say to the, the candidate you're interviewing, give me an example of a time where you've needed to show resilience. Give me an example of something that you're passionate about. Give me an example of how you've dealt with a difficult situation and, um, you know, maintained your your calm or whatever whatever your values are, you can work them into the questions. And actually, it's a really good way to make sure that the people that you're interviewing are on the same page as you. Sounds like it translates straight into being able to bring your employees into the whole ecosystem of the business rather than just being, I'm the founder slash CEO and you guys just do what I tell you to. Well, exactly. And the whole revolution that's sort of taking place, I feel like is taking place in business as well. It's not just food that's changing. How we work is changing at the same time. And obviously, yeah, the pandemic has totally accelerated that. And I just think that that sort of very hierarchical model is, is becoming less and less relevant. Um, and people want to be appreciated and want to be included a really good example of this, I think, is Brewdog, uh, the beer company. So they've done it not only internally, but they've got their consumers along for the ride by offering them shares in their business, um, which then translate into discounts in their 
in their bars but it's an identity you know you're part of a community then and I think the cleverest business leaders are the ones who recognize that that feeling of belonging is actually the thing that people who are wanting to work for someone that's the feeling that they want to have they don't want to feel like you're my boss and I have to do what you say they want to feel like we're in this together and I'm helping you and you're helping me and I hear the the phrase, we're in this together a lot in the plant-based community, especially recently, when there's been talk about categories growing and more players coming on the scene. And eventually there will have to be competition between the different companies within categories. And yet there seems to be that camaraderie of we are all trying to go towards similar goals. So it sounds like what you're doing with Citizen Kind kind of puts that on the back end as well, behind the scenes within the companies. Yes, exactly. A rising tide lifts all boats. So if you've got a team that are really well gelled together, then that should mean that when someone in supply chain succeeds, that someone in sales is also celebrating that success because you're all part of the same team. And you're, when one succeeds, everybody does. That's the difference that it makes. Yeah, and it moves these companies forward to be able to achieve those goals, which is kind of the dream of every entrepreneur. They don't start it to say, I think I'm going to sell five units of product out of my garage. They started to say, I want to make an impact. That's pretty powerful. And that camaraderie within the company, my wheels are turning because I don't think about the internal part of the company as much as I think about the products and the consumer facing. But that same camaraderie is exactly what consumers are looking for. So if it's not happening within the company, I'd imagine it's difficult to make that same connection when you do your consumer facing. Well, exactly. And I think consumers are pretty savvy now these days. If you're not walking your talk internally, but you're proclaiming externally that you are, you know, for justice and for, you know, treating people fairly and for paying a fair wage and all this sort of stuff. But people behind you who are actually working in the company think, well, actually, you know, you don't treat us very fairly and you don't pay us very fairly. Consumers will find out. (laughs) People talk. Um, they say that if you have a positive experience of anything, then you tell five people. If you have a negative experience, then you tell 30. So, you know, bad news really does spread fast. So I think brands need to be very careful about how they behave. And obviously in the age of social media and Me Too and the way that people are able to communicate now, it's becoming a lot harder to misbehave in companies. Um, But I think the damage that misbehavior can do is also um, disproportionate to, to how it used to be, where you could pretty much get away with it, sadly. So actually, it's a great time to be employed, which is funny because lots of people are now rejecting employment in favor of working for themselves. But actually, I think there's now lots of companies where you know, if they'd been around when I was in my 20s, I'd have been delighted. You mentioned BrewDog. Do you see any other companies that are really standouts in ticking all those boxes on the vision and the hiring well and the behaving well, particularly in like plant-based and sustainability space? Well, I think it's difficult because obviously lots of these companies actually aren't very old. If you take a company like this, for example, I think they're an excellent example of it because they really are walking their talk um, internally. They're renowned uh, in the UK for their sort of crazy marketing stunts. 
um, that they've done. Like they had an Ed Sheeran lookalike giving away free not chicken nuggets uh, from out of a sort of burger van type thing. So they're kind of well known for having a sense of humour and bringing a sense of fun. And that thread really plays through everything that they do. So even their job descriptions are written in a really fun, playful way. Um, you know, they have a table tennis set up in their offices. They take time off to go and have a sports day as a team. They also have raised their lowest wage within the company to a certain level, which is almost double that of most other companies. It's in recognition of the fact that it's really expensive to live in London. We have a national minimum wage, which doesn't really reflect that. So they wanted to um, make life easier for their employees. And they're offering shares to their company, to their employees. So if you work for them for a certain amount of time, then that means you'll automatically get options in their company. Pretty cool. Yeah. So it shows that they're thinking about the day-to-day life and not just the work life of the employees, which, as you pointed out, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people are going gig economy, because when you do that, it's, well, I can think about my day-to-day life and control the other end of things. But from what you're saying, it's not necessarily all bad out there in the corporate world if you look in the right place. Well, exactly. And I have real concerns about the gig economy. Um, A bit like, you know, how Uber has been accused of these zero hour contracts being exploitation of people. Um, And I think it is a dangerous thing that so many young people are choosing not to work in companies because it's such an important learning ground. Um, It's where you learn the difference between good and bad leadership. It's where you learn what works well in teams and what doesn't. And also you can understand what other teams are doing in a way that's very difficult if you're an external contractor or supplier. And also from the social perspective as well, I think, you know, in your 20s and 30s, being around other people is one of the joys of going to work. (laughs) Um, And so I feel quite sad about the idea of young people missing out on that because, you know, they've got... 30,000 Instagram followers and have to post three times a day from home or from whatever they're doing. I'm sure in my imagination, it's a lot worse than it actually is, but um, I just feel like they may be missing out on something. Um, I guess the other thing with it is okay now, but what if later on in life, they actually want to go and work for someone? How are they going to do that? So how are they going to make that transition from working for yourself for three to five years in your 20s to being told what to do or even delivering to a deadline or delivering to expectations or meeting, you know, having review meetings on performance and contribution and that sort of thing. I think it's going to be quite difficult for people to make that transition. And that worries me. And then there's all the other stuff like pension, healthcare, and all the benefits and paid holidays and sick leave that I feel like they're missing out on. So I have mixed feelings about the gig economy, as you can probably tell. <laughs> it's it, it As somebody who is actually part of it, it really does depend on what you do. There's like a huge difference between 
working for clients and being an influencer. Having never been an influencer, I cannot speak to that, but I have talked to some people who have been, and I hear that it can be rather a horror show. So on that end of it, I am totally in agreement with you. Some of the things I've heard about, it almost sounds like it could be harder than working for a boss because <laughs> you're working for your entire audience. It's crazy. You're commoditizing yeah. yourself in a way that it doesn't feel like that when you're going to work for someone else because you have a contract and you know it's much more this is what I expect you to do this is the time you start this is the time you finish perfectly acceptable to clock off and not do any extra but working for yourself you don't have those boundaries so mentally there's also that issue that you can do too much and wear yourself into the ground. 100%. Not saying I know what you're talking about or anything. <laughs> so with the kind of balance between the gig economy, but all of the good that you see going on in a lot of these companies, what would you say to a company who maybe is trying to court the younger people who aren't as interested in working, but as the company, you know you need those good people, especially to get your brand off the ground and to grow it and keep it going. How can they get those people in other than, you know, obviously coming to you and getting your help? What would, what would you give them advice on? If you're looking to attract younger people, then I would say you probably need to rethink your strategy because just wanting to hire people based on age um, is not a route to successful recruitment, I should say. Firstly, Ages, you're not allowed to discriminate on anything other than someone's skills and competencies. So that's where you need to start. So if you, when you're coming to, to um, hire for a position, when you need to figure out what it is you need, literally write down exactly the, the tasks that you need that person to do and then the skills that they would need in order to be able to do it. And then that those are the things you should be assessing your candidates against, nothing else. But in terms of how to attract people to want to work for you, I think people underestimate um, a resource that they have, an endless resource that they have at their fingertips, which is their own people. So they are the best advocates for your company that you have. And so the more that you can get them involved in external communications about internal life, the better, because that is what will make you authentic. And if your people don't want to do that, then you might want to think about why. <laughs> because I think any company, I mean, and it might be that you've got a company full of very shy people who wouldn't feel comfortable going on video or having their photo taken or whatever it is you're asking them to do. But if what you're asking them is to write a testimonial for the website where they're just going to have, you know, not even their photo, just, you know, two lines about what it's like to work at your company and they don't want to do that, I would want to understand what, how that person's feeling about their job and the, where they think their future is. And that's a big red flag for someone wanting to leave, I would say. Generally, most people will want to help the company progress and grow and we'll see that they will be able to progress and grow as if the company does and so we'll want to do whatever it is you you ask of them to help make that happen and that's what candidates want to see when they're applying for jobs is they want to go to your website and see your people on it not stock images but your people on it talking about their experience working and um, that's what's going to give people confidence that yes this is a company I want to work with. So it goes back to what we were saying earlier about walking your talk, because if you don't do it, everything will fall apart internally, including your hiring. And if you don't have people, you don't have a company. 
Well, the thing is, I think, is that people are getting savvier, right? So if you don't do this stuff, yeah, people might not notice that, that those things aren't on there. But it doesn't take long. Culture, you can't, you cannot completely control culture when you're a leader. It is self-forming. So if you want to improve the chances of attracting and retaining great people, then you've got to really focus as much on retaining as you are attracting. It's not easy. It's not a quick fix. But investing in your people is the most sensible thing that you can ever do because you don't have a company without them. It's so funny to me how much of this is very similar to customers, attracting customers, retaining customers. You don't ever want to neglect the other end of that, it sounds like. At your peril. Because <laughs> they, the thing is, is you know, the age of references is dead. You know, people don't take references anymore because there's no point. All they are is HR saying, yes, I can confirm this person worked from this date to this date in this role. And that's all I'm going to tell you. There is no way for individuals to be tested, if you like. Um, but similarly, uh, it's, it's switched because candidates actually now have the power through platforms like Glassdoor, where you can talk very openly about your experience working somewhere and rate your CEO and rate the business and rate their structure and how you're managed and their pay and everything and your benefits, all of those things, um, companies have got to be really careful about how they treat people. And it doesn't take much to turn people off, you know, just like a bad review of your product you know, if you got one bad review, 10 reviews, <laughs> if that's the one that the, that the consumer reads, they're not buying your product. And that's the same for your candidates. So everyone's got a keypad and an opinion. <laughs> As we can see on social media, but we won't go there. Let's go somewhere a little more positive. Um, I have a couple of questions that I tend to ask as more wrap-up questions for the podcast. And this does relate to, since we've been talking about recruiting and a lot of upcoming companies, what do you think we need to be focusing on as the food system changes and work changes? And the two of them really sounds like are influencing each other. Where do you feel our next really big focus should be? Well, where I think our focus should be in terms of work is focusing on the diversity, equity and inclusion piece, particularly. I think it's something that um, a lot of people maybe didn't understand 18 months ago and have now realized it's something that they need to make a great deal of effort towards learning the language, learning how to actually implement those things within their business, not just talk about them, but actually take action within their business and to, well, make steps towards inclusion in, in all of their decision making and even within their values. Um, so incorporating it in there is obviously a really easy way to help embed those types of um, strategies into um, the business. So I think that's a really important thing that all companies should be thinking about and acting upon at the moment. And I will, I'll drop the big one on you. This one is a fun one because I always get really diverse answers to it. And I love getting people's insights and opinions. If you had unlimited power and resources and you could bring about one change in 
I would say both our modern food system and how things work within the support system of that as we've been talking about recruitment and how that relates to customer facing. So if you had that unlimited power and resources, what change would you make to bring about just a better future in general? Oh, I wish I could spend more time with unlimited power and resources. But if it's just these couple of minutes, I suppose, um, honestly, I think I would have I would have everyone read my friend's book, which is called Think Like a Vegan. Um, and that is all around. It's actually kind of rejecting the three reasons that most people go vegan. So you've got health, environment and animal welfare. So it's kind of sidestepping all of those and just going to um, a much more core and integral value system within everyone that I think everybody has, but um, it's turning the volume up on it. So I would wish that everyone would read that. And um, I think that would have an enormous impact in terms of how people act in terms of one another, as well as in their how they think about animals. And then the other thing I think is end factory farming. But that's, well, actually, I would say end factory farming by eliminating subsidies, because I feel like the playing field at the moment is massively um, unfair and it needs to be leveled. And without that, I fear that it is going to be just a very long, slow transition to a plant-based or cell-based future, which I think would be accelerated hugely if people understood and were paying for the true cost of meat, fish, dairy, eggs. So that's what I would do. Agreed on that. Uh, I get a little bit frustrated when people look at the prices on food that I know has come from a good source and the people have worked really hard to produce and they go, that's too expensive. And I think, no, your food is too cheap. This is real food. Exactly. And and what what is the definition of food? You know, like it, it's got to be produced in a sustainable way. Otherwise, it's exploitation. If you don't go sustainable. Yeah. At that point, for me, it's not food. Like, any more, I wouldn't eat that any more than I would eat this chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on what kind of food we're talking about, your chair might taste better. <laughs> well, Exactly. Exactly. It's just, for me, it's just not, it's not food. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. If you don't go sustainable, then you run, you know, if you don't trend in that direction, you run the risk of using up resources. And I don't know, we could have another separate conversation about the value of food and how people don't value food. So maybe we will have to have that conversation at some point. Sounds like something we could really dig into. Well, it is. I mean, because if you think about it, if you think about all the really cheap, nasty, fast food there is out there, um, you know, the workers who are making that food are being exploited, the animals are being exploited, the people who are selling it are being exploited, they're only just being paid minimum wage if such a thing exists in their countries. And yet the companies that are behind these things, the profits that they're making are just extortionate. So yeah, there's a lot that's that needs fixing. <laughs> Hence the pipe dream of unlimited power and resources. Yes, I mean, I could spend a long time with unlimited power and resources. Someday I'll get my own answer to that question together. But 
where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about Citizen Kind, and just generally follow your your thoughts on social media? Um, LinkedIn's the best place for me. So um, Emma Osborne, O-S-B-O-R-N-E, no you, I'm not a relation of Aussie, and uh, citizenkind.com. Uh, is our website uh, we, you can actually register there as a candidate you don't need to wait for a, a vacancy to become available you can just go ahead and register um, if you're looking for permanent or contract work we're ha- you know, happy to take anyone who's interested in working to create that sustainable economy we all want to see so if you are listening and you are looking for a position at a company that doesn't just talk the talk but also walks the walk and is ready to include you as part of their growth and their impact that they're having, head over to Citizen Kind and take a look, right? Yes, please. Well, thank you so much, Emma. I am so glad that we were able to have a conversation and have to have you back in the future so we can go down some of these rabbit trails we didn't get a chance to chase. Absolutely. That sounds great. Thanks so much, Sam. It's been really fun. Big thanks to Emma for being on the podcast. It was a great 40th episode. There's something really special about going from talking to someone on a social media platform to talking to them face-to-face, or in this case, Zoom face-to-face. If you'll allow me to wax nostalgic or poetic or whatever you want to call it for a minute, that is really one of my favorite aspects of doing this podcast, talking to people whose work and ideas I have admired for a while and being able to bring that to you who tune in to listen to the podcast. You can tell I just dated myself because I said tune in as if we're on the radio. Anyway, I am so glad that you have chosen to listen to the Modern Health Nerd podcast. If this is your first time, we've got a back catalog of 39 other episodes with people from all over the plant-based, alternative protein, food tech, indoor farming spaces, just so many fantastic people. And we've got some other really great stuff coming up in future episodes. If you want to be alerted to when those episodes go live, you can go over to modernhealthnerd.com news and sign up for updates. You will get the blog post version of the show notes with the episode embedded right in your inbox, just one click away so that you can listen to every new episode. And if you like it, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast. Until next week, when we bring you another fascinating conversation, stay nerdy.